My name is Brock, and this is the Dungeon Master's Toolkit Podcast. In today's episode, I'm interviewing AJ. A couple of the topics that we hit on in the episode are overland travel, describing a scene, player versus player games, that's a really fun topic, and session zero backstories along with a number of other topics interspersed along the way. Remember to like, follow, and subscribe on whichever platform you're listening on. Be sure to comment your favorite part of the episode. If you're interested in chatting further or being on the show, check out our Discord server. Link is in the show notes. I hope you enjoyed the episode, and let's get started. So, welcome, AJ. Why don't you tell me a little bit about how you got started into uh, tabletop role-playing games? Uh, So, when it comes to... I didn't start off with them straight away more so got into them by way of i played magic like the card game and i played my local game store and i would see just other groups playing their games every like wednesday night or whenever they had their game nights and i didn't actually start playing until a little bit into my first year in college when i got into starfinder with a group of friends at the game store I would play at. I have not heard of Starfinder. Do you want to talk a little bit about that in your maybe your first campaign that you played in? The short and sweet version of when I was told about it, it's Pathfinder in space. That uh, makes sense. In yeah, my my kind of thing, imagine just like the, the Star Wars universe without all the Jedi and clones and Sith and all that stuff. So okay. Like you got your you got your starships. You got various planets you can go to. All the different alien species and different things like that. Maybe a little more sci uh, sci fi based and less science fantasy, I suppose. Then. Yeah, yeah, that's a good way to put it. And did you like? Did you enjoy that system? Oh, absolutely. It was a bit. Given it's my first thing, it was a bit interesting to get used to, because uh, rather than like. Say with D and D, a big difference between D and D and Starfinder is you have skill points, and another thing with D is it's harder to get like those higher number rolls, like in your thirties and forties. Whereas Starfinder, that's a regular thing, based on what skills or whatever you put it into. Sure. And so, what are you primarily playing now? Uh, primarily, I run Five E. Either it would be one shots or the campaign I'm currently running. So yeah, but those are the two systems I've played. Sure. And so, what what made you transition from Starfinder to Fifth uh, Edition? Uh, when it comes to it, like the first couple campaigns for Starfinder, I was in were with the same group of people, but they were like real short and sweet. Uh, the first one, my very first one, I joined an existing game. The second one was a lot shorter. It just ended up not panning out because scheduling issues. So there's that. And one of my other friends decided, hey, we're playing a Ravnica D&D game, which is one of the, the magic settings. Yep. They just released the book. So that was actually my first experience with D&D as a whole. And I, we started like level three or something like that. And no, level five, sorry. And I made 
what I later would find out to be a new newbie kind of mistake, like newer player, I made a wizard as my very first character. And it was interesting, but it was fun. Ravnica probably was a good intro for you to D&D then, though, coming from a magic background. Oh, absolutely. Um, my favorite guild, and I still stick to it this day, is the Izet Wizards. Red Blue. Oh, yep. Uh, I really like the Demir, the blue-black. Just the styling. Cool. Uh, Ravnica was, I... or I think it was Return to Ravnica, I think was kind of the main set that was coming out when I was kind of playing a little bit of magic. So you you started off as a wizard then. And was it just was it just too much with like all the spells and stuff to handle, or what was really the what challenged you there? Not really, I guess. Like going down the line, like I I, I figured out I picked my spells and stuff. Like I went with the classic firebolt or not firebolt, uh, fireball, lightning bolt, that sort of thing. I was an evocation wizard, and that's what appealed to me most at the time. I guess the thing that ultimately when I figure out versus say like a druid is wizards know their spell, like only X amount of spells, whereas druids and clerics, they know all of their spells. They don't have to know and prepare. Right. Yeah. Wizards kind of have that double edged sword where they, yeah, yeah, they, they both have to know them and, uh, and prepare them. Unlike a, like a bard or somebody who just, if you know it, you know it and you're good. Sure, so a little bit more bookkeeping then, at least, as a player. A little bit. It, but when I first played it, I played it how I would now play a cleric or a druid. I just picked this many spells for, with my stats and whatever else, and I, I played it like that. Sure. And then what kind of led you to becoming a DM? Uh, eventually, it was a later campaign, and... It, it was a it was the longer campaign because the other one I was in for maybe three or four sessions and we had like a anactic session that we just fought a big boss and then I just ended it there and I joined a different game shortly after where we played in a homebrew setting and it ended up being super fun and I played my first uh. First character I got real attached to, his name was Argoth. He was a half-orc barbarian, which was a little bit of along the lines of one of the more common characters, but it, it was fun. It was the first one I really got attached to, you know? And so what would be... <clears throat> so how long have you been DMing then now? DMing consistently. I've This current game I've had running since about October. I'd say, like, total time maybe about six or seven months so still fairly new but it sounds like it's a fairly consistent game then we tried to do it every other week give or take yeah i, I mean that's more frequently than a lot of games so that's you've got so, that going for you <laughs> do you guys does your group struggle with scheduling or do you just kind of set a certain day and and say this is when it's happening uh, yeah, we said today we do it on Tuesdays at 9 p.m. Central Standard. And we try to do it every other week, but I text my players usually probably the day before and a uh, few hours before just to make sure, like, hey, is there anything that needs to change? Anybody not being able to make it? And if there is, I kind of work with it from there. Do you play online or are you guys in person? 
we are online with this uh-huh. one because uh, one of the players is an old college buddy. He still lives up uh, where we were. And then the other four are different area. I know three out of five of my players are in a different time zone. So that kind of puts into perspective. Of mm. Yeah. You're, you're just are. not close enough to really do a in-person game then. Exactly. Um, what tools do you use? Um, do you do like roll 20 or anything? Uh, for maps and actual play? Yes, we do roll 20 and we do voice chat through discord. And then I do my prep just like I, I do notes and physical prep. With it, like I have a notebook and such. Sure. And do you prefer to have um, like write everything down in the notebook? Uh, I actually just recently started doing it with the notebook, and it has definitely helped because after a first few, the first few sessions, uh, one of my players brought up to me. He's like, "Hey, you seem to be like saying, oh, I need to look up my notes and stuff like that." He said having a notebook would be a lot easier, whereas previously I was keeping it as notes on my phone which would take a little bit longer and would stop the game a bit more frequently. Sure, yeah, because, you know, small phone screen and then paging through a decent amount of notes can can get cumbersome. Um, so that's cool that you switched to a notebook, just a regular spiral notebook then? Yeah, or like one of those, um, the composition books. Mm-hmm, yep. Yeah. And how much, like, what kind of prep do you do for your game? Uh, generally what I do is like I take the events of last session, figuring that into part of the next game. It's like, how can I work this in? What would the next logical like kind of general area or way to go would be? And then I take like, hey, what I want to happen down the line and kind of merge those two together to get it on that path. So do you have kind of a uh, kind of a backlog list of like story beats that you want to hit that you then kind of work in as they make sense? Give or take, yeah. Uh, like currently one of the, uh, the their main objective, which is actually something one of the players came up with, is that they are looking for a roaming Goliath herd that the cleric in our group, who is a Goliath uh, storm sorcerer, Tempest cleric, of cord is wanting to find a very sears of cord and he had learned that there was this herd and he they're trying to currently find it they just reached the other side of the mountain range that they have been traveling through and they're in heading in the direction of where i have it planned to be cool so you kind of have uh, some player driven stuff too so would you kind of consider your game to be more sandboxy then yeah i give give or take i i let players have a large portion of what they a large portion of their freedom like hey they want to go this way i'll work with that i'll work something in events encounters just different things like that sure i'll have a little bit of my own along the way but i'd largely leave it up to them sure well and that's kind of one of the big benefits of playing an rpg versus a a video game or something is that you can kind of push on the boundaries you know as a player to you know hey make stuff over here i want to go you know that sounds cool let me go that way when you're doing that prep is it are you prepping like specific things to happen in the encounters or specific encounters to have are you prepping npcs and maybe dialogue or monsters and stats what's kind of the main thing that you find yourself prepping a lot of 
general encounters of like, oh, they're going to be traveling through a forest. What's going to be in that forest? How much? And like, is it going to be good? Is it going to be bad? And the kind of next idea like I have for something like that is they're, they just reach the side of the mountain range and they have to get to this lake that is through, well, forest. And I was thinking, hmm, what if they encountered this like group of, say, blights or rogue ants, like the tree person, you know? Yep. And just something along that lines, and I kind of work with that. And when it comes to dialogue, uh, I largely improv on that. But like last session, I had them actually encounter Horde, or rather one of his forms, like because... I'm still sticking with the part we're playing in the wild mount setting. So there's the part of all the gods. They they're in their kind of separated area, different plane, you know, so they can't actually come through. And I did have a little bit of a dialogue thing with him. Yeah. I'm not familiar with that setting, um, but you take most of what you're doing from the setting book then. Yes. It's the, uh, it's the wild mount critical role setting is what we're playing in. That makes sense because I I have watched a little bit of Critical Role and then I always seem to just kind of fall behind and stop watching it. That's understandable. But they have they just have so much out there. Oh yeah, oh yeah. It's a lot of interesting content too. When your um when your players are traveling and everything, are they um so like are you kind of make them do all of that? travel or do you kind of like you know fast travel like okay you were doing this thing and then maybe you make a couple rolls and then you like arrive in certain places or how do you handle travel uh it's largely based on how far and like where they want to go uh they've only had to travel a couple places so far they started one of the cities they went to say a mine that was a couple days away and then they went back and then they went the opposite way, going over that mountain range, which took a couple sessions worth of play to get through. But like this last one, I had them play it out for part of it, and then I figured, oh, I didn't really plan much. This isn't adding much to the story, and I kind of sped it up a little bit. And that's where we stopped last time, as they had just arrived on the other side of their objective after crossing their travel uh, range. Sure. Yeah, I've seen online, you know, people talk about different ways to handle travel and some people like to just, you know, maybe make a couple like survival roles or something and just kind of get the players there or, you know, maybe throw in a random encounter or whatever. Um, So, yeah, it sounds like for you, it's just kind of, you know, maybe a couple of encounters kind of on the way and then or as needed. Right. If you don't have anything, then you just kind of skip through that part and, and keep going. I try try to give, like, a little bit of a description to kind of, like, this is the general setting. This is, like, the the kind of feel of the general area. Given a new DM, I'm still working on that sort of thing. So, like, a a big part of that is, like, just descriptions. Like, oh, there's hills. There's a path. Like, like something I work on is, like, how does that feel? Like, crunching underneath your boots. You know, like, you got the feel of the wind. That sort of thing. It's just, like, the general setting the scene. Yeah, I... I find that when you're kind of in the moment, it can sometimes be easy to forget certain things or or maybe just relying on like your sense of sight and you're like, oh, you see these, you know, a bunch of things. And it can be really helpful to just kind of 
you know, for each area that you're in or each scene that you're trying to describe, maybe pick. I mean, sight usually it always comes up because, you know, you're going to see stuff, but then maybe hitting on, you know, smell or hearing or, you know, something else just to kind of bring a little bit more depth into your descriptions, you know, because it can be easy to be like, oh, I can just get a generic smell, you know, it's desert, it's it's dry or, you know, just kind of sandy kind of smell. And it, that's not a super great description, but it's it's different than just like, oh, what do you see? Right. But it can definitely be easy to forget those at the same time. Uh, it's that whole situation versus like you picturing something how you want to describe in your head versus you actually describing it. You know? Yes. Yes. 100% that. Or like you're thinking of an image and you're like, oh, I, you know, I can see it clearly in my mind and I would like to draw it. And then you just have no artistic talent to put it on paper. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Do, when you're when you're doing that, do you prep maybe like a couple descriptive words or anything about kind of the terrain or the scenes that you go through? Or is that just all improv? Decent portion of it is improv, but I try to give just like as pointers for myself during the thing, during the session. I tried to do like a little bit of descriptions like, oh, they're going through, say this forest they're going to be going through. Uh, is it more like swampy? Is it more like, uh, you know, fall kind of like crisp autumn sort of like forest, you know, that, that kind of thing. It's like little pointers to kind of give an idea of like how I should be describing it. Right. Yeah, that that definitely helps. Um, that's typically what I end up doing, too, is just a couple descriptive words about something and then. And then try to, you know, do more of a long form improv, you know, kind of when you're actually describing it. Yeah. Um, is there anything that you, as a DM, either struggle with or would have, you know, maybe wished you'd known sooner in your DMing? Uh, struggling with, as I brought up, is the general description. That was a big part of when I started. Like, I, I first started of with a just a, a one shot that I that, that was my very first experience DMing and I had it set in like a little um what was to be the eventual beginnings of a homebrew world I'm currently working on. Uh they were going up they were hired by a trader to go up through a mountain to recover a lost shipment and they were fighting a stone giant would end up never finishing it. But it was something that I worked on. And just the general description was something I found to be a bigger obstacle. Yeah, one shots are definitely a really good way to kind of get your feet wet as a DM. Uh, that's how mm -hmm. I started as well. Uh, I offered my DM uh, for our group at the time and just said, hey, you know, I'd like to run a, uh, just maybe run a one shot for our characters. Are, you know, are you okay with that? It'll kind of be throwaway. It won't really impact the rest of the campaign or anything. And he was like, yeah, you know, I'm sure he was excited to take a break, you know, for once. So, um, so I got to do that. And then eventually when that other campaign ended, um, you know, then I was able to, I had a little bit more, uh, under my belt, so to speak. It's understandable. When you're, um, when you're playing online, you mentioned that you use maps. Do you, um... Do those maps really help you in kind of your terms of, uh, in terms of coming up with descriptions and stuff? 
Uh, they can, yes. Uh, it generally depends on what the kind of map I'm using. But the ones I have used have definitely helped set the scene for what it was like. The last combat encounter, uh, it was a map set for a broken bridge going over a chasm, like a, a small chasm that was infested with uh, sort of like frost spiders. It was webbing on the map already, so that worked really well with it. And the bridge itself was broken, so that added to the part of, oh, they have to make some sort of check, which I had them do, and they, to get over, are they going to get past this obstacle? That sort of thing. And I just worked that into the itself. Do you primarily use the maps for combat encounters, or do you use them for other you know, non-combat as well? I'm mostly combat at this point, although there have I do have a couple planned like that I have made that I want to eventually use that are currently non-combat encounters. But obviously with flares, anything could become a combat. So <laughs> yes, that is entirely true. Where do you find most of your maps? Most of my maps, uh, sometimes I'll just Google up a map and like, oh, I like this one, I'll make it work. Or like I found you on Reddit, I follow different things like Roll20 maps, uh, just battle maps, different things like that. Yeah, I'm on a handful of the uh, the battle map, um, what, battle maps, Star Wars maps. I hadn't heard of the Roll Twenty one though, so I'm gonna have to get on that one. Um, uh, yeah, let me see if I can find a couple of the other ones that I'm in. They're updated so frequently; it's so handy to be like, oh, yes. I could I could plan an encounter around this like right now. Uh, yeah, it's just R slash uh, Roll Twenty, and they have a various maps that they'll be posted. Just different. Uh, art and tokens, characters, weapons, that sort of thing. And they've got some really good ones on here. Cool. I'm going to have to get on that one as well. It takes a bit longer if the picture itself has a grid versus not a grid when it comes to it. Yeah, I've uh, there's been a couple that I've had to mess with on Roll20, and it can be a pain to get them to line up in a oh, oh, yeah. way that's not confusing. So yeah, definitely gridless maps. Uh, for any map makers that are listening to this podcast, gridless is so nice. <laughs> it absolutely helps. Um, there was a Star Wars map that I had that it wasn't, um, it didn't have a grid on it, but I I like blew the thing way up because it, the resolution was, it wasn't low, but it just, like the size of the tokens and stuff just didn't quite make sense. And I wanted the map to, it was of an asteroid base. And I really wanted it to huh. feel, you know, kind of maybe bigger than the the map actually was. So I definitely had to blow it way up. But I'm I'm glad that it didn't have the grids on it because when you have the roll twenty grid and the other grid imposed on it, it's like I can't tell where I'm putting my tokens at. Yeah, and a large part for me, which one of my current players ended up helping me figure it out, was like if you're using the roll twenty grid and then you put your picture on there and let's say you size it up to whatever square you have move your token on the map like you'll want it to put in a certain square but it'll snap to the roll 20 map in the background so it'll be like in between lines yep so yeah i know exactly what you're talking about and it drives me nuts when <laughs> when i have to fight with it is is roll 20 the main uh app that you use then to run everything uh for the mo for the current things I do, yes. 
I have my current group, and then I have like a one where I just play with some friends. We do PvP, and we have a, another game with that, but we use Roll Twenty. And you don't use like D and D Beyond or anything. You just do character sheets just on Roll Twenty. Uh, for my main game, we do use Roll Twenty. I have a different game I'm playing in where we use. Uh, we have we have them made in D and D Beyond, and with that one, I actually have just like a separate PDF uh, file that I use, which is something else used for the PvP games I play in. But we vary between uh, just beyond using actual World 20 and then just the different PDF things, whoever, whoever you may have, you know. Sure. I'm really curious about this PvP game. Can you tell me more about that? Uh, essentially, it's like, I would always see these posts, or like stories. Like, one of the main subreddits I follow is r slash 3d6, which is just like various character concepts and just different things like that. Let's see a lot of, I'm playing in a PvP game soon. What would this split of characters be? Like, how does this character work? That sort of thing. I wanted to try it. The group for the current game, they really like that whole god fight level thing, you know, as they would refer to it. So I had another group of friends. A couple of them were interested. We started getting more people in. We play fairly regularly. We just make level 20 characters. Uh, we have a set of stats we use. And we each get one item of rarity, legendary to common. And then we just fight it out. Do you have somebody that is the DM for that? Not really. This is more of a collaborative thing where it's like, Oh, this is our. This is an issue that we saw arise. Uh, we're gonna say that we can't use this next time. We can only use this if certain people, like if everyone has access to it. Like one of the issues we had was my friend and I were playing, and one of the other guys used hadn't. They were an artificer. They cast Wall of Force on us, so they trapped us in essentially a dome. And then they had someone else cast a wall of fire, and they essentially cooked <laughs> us in alive in a furnace. We could not Yikes. get out. It was only later in the match, after I died, that I found the other guy trapped in there with me had dispel magic. <laughs> that was fun. That sounds like a really fun concept. And I, I guess if you're not really going against you know monsters or NPCs or anything, you really don't need a GM to arbitrate as much. Right. Like a couple of the bigger things we saw is like uh, two of the classes slash or two subclasses we have outright banned are uh, having a level 20 moon druid because they can just infinite wild check oh. elementals and outlast yep. everybody. Yep. Or the zealot barbarian where they essentially cannot die unless they're knocked unconscious. And to be honest, there are very few uh, effects that do unconscious. That sounds like a fun way to actually get to play around with those level 20 builds, though, because, you know, with a lot of campaigns, it's like, oh, I'm going to build this to 20th level, and then your campaign goes to, like, level 10. Yeah. It's probably just a, a nice break, too, from, you know, just a regular game. It definitely can be. It was uh, a little bit of a break. It's like, oh, I'm not quite a DM, but I'm not a player. We have a little bit of of agency of what we want to do like one of the first things i tested out was i played a uh level three totem barbarian and 17 levels rune knight fighter from tasha's and it was pretty fun 
we that was our first session, so we had some rules to work out, and then we we've gotten to a point where we've got a general sense of what we're doing. Sure. And then do you just pick like a, a like a giant battle map off somewhere, and then just go to town? Uh, sort of. We changed the battle map a few times the first time. Like the first one we made, not quite a mistake. We were we were learning. It was a map with a bunch of hallways. We ended up figuring out, oh, this took way too long. Let's scale it down a bit. And we actually have one we've used for the last like two or three fights, where it's like a small castle. It's like a ruined castle. We have a barrier. Oh, you can't go outside this area, and it's it's worked pretty well. Yeah, that that sounds just. A, like a ton of fun and and then you get to test out different you know character concepts and find out like oh this this works really well or yeah actually this is actually terrible yeah um there was one match i, I was playing a level 20 um not astral self uh a way of mercy monk scratch that level 17 way of mercy monk and three levels champion fighter so i could crit on a 19 <laughs> and Let's just say a paladin uh, warlock build one hit crit me for two hundred and forty plus damage. Oh man, yeah. So that was fun. Yeah, it just sounds like a ton of fun. Do you use um, so kind of back on your like regular campaign? Do you have any house rules or anything that you use, or like homebrew rules or anything? Uh, not that I've really implemented. Um, I did start certain things like um. In a previous fight, one of my players, uh, you know the spell Witch Bolt, how wherever you initially cast it, it's um, however many D12 if you upcast it, but it's only the one D12 after. Yep. Um, kind of homebrewed it, say, hey, if you want to later on when you get it, um, kind of like uh, the spell Spiritual Weapon, however, for every two levels above you upcast it, the damage dice goes up. Like, let's say you uh, cast it at third level. It'll do the 3d12 initial damage. Since you upcast it two levels above first level, the damage afterwards is 2d12 instead of one. Sure. Uh, Witch Bolt is one that I remember looking at when I was getting started in D&D. And I thought, like, man, this is just crazy powerful, right? Because you can just, like, sustain damage. You know, for one spell slot, but then not realizing how easy it is to kind of break the spell by just moving away from whoever's casting it on you. Right. And, there is and, that part. But having a higher damage output, you know, if you can get them to stay in it, it would definitely have more payoff than you know, or you know, be more likely to use it. Right. How many? Uh, how many players do you have? Uh, currently, I'm at five which is the kind of like sweet spot I figured of what I want to keep it at for now. I have only ever played with, I think, four total. So how is, um, I've only ever run it for like three max. So how is running five then? It's actually, it's it's good. I, I get uh, input from each player. Like they they all get equal role play opportunities. Like they, it, they're all fairly input a lot like they they do get into it as characters and i don't have to do much to initiate that sure so everybody's uh, however, invested in the game right uh, however currently one of the uh issues i'm having not not like big issues it's just like as a new dm i'm working five different characters 
um, their backstories and all. I, I've got four of them pretty well worked in. And the fifth one is the one I'm kind of like, oh, they're kind of in a gray area. How am I going to fit them into this, you know? And what, uh, like when they made their characters, did you have them write you know, specific backstories or what was the process there? Um, when they made their characters, well, we had our session zero and uh, initially, so currently, I originally started with three players and I only have one of those um, players left, the original group. Others are people who have joined since. Uh, initially, when I had them make, it was like, here's your stat set, make your character, write a backstory. Don't be like, oh, you're some super powerful guy, you're only level two, that sort of thing. But give me something to work with. Give me a couple of NPCs, maybe a memorable location, something that happened. Just don't leave me nothing, but give me something, you know? So how, how long of backstories did you get from that? Uh, I think the longest one, less than a page. But it it's detailed enough where, like, oh, this gives me something to work with if they're ever over in that area. Or just, like, something I can work in down the line, you know? Right. So then you pull in, like, oh, I know this player has, you know, a sister over here. And uh, if you ever needed to, like, endanger them or something or kind of make the players care a little bit more maybe about a certain part of the story, you could kind of work those those NPCs or those locations in. Right. Like, one of the current things I have is, so in my group, we currently have a wizard, a rogue, a cleric, sorcerer, a paladin, and a fighter. Cleric, sorcerer is a multi-class guy. Uh, the wizard and the rogue, I'm kind of intertwining their story a little bit. Um, basically, a big, kind of a guy from the wizard's backstory is needing to find something that the rogue's mother who the rogue has never met stole from him however the last known person to have any sort of contact with the rogue's mother was the rogue's father so currently the that guy hired a bounty hunter the bounty hunter has the rogue's father as a sort of bargaining piece to get the rogue to find her mother I'm going to kind of work that in. Sure. That's actually, um, it makes a lot of sense. And it's kind of a, a neat thing that I hadn't considered, but potentially just giving your players almost like a list of like name a family member that you have and what their relationship is and name, like, name a place that was special to you when you grew up. Or like, I can see a checklist like that, that you hand yeah. to your players at the, like at session zero or, you know, before session zero or whatever and just say hey fill out you know maybe there's 15 of them on there fill out 10 of them and then you've got even if it's just like one cent or like one word now you have kind of populated a uh, npcs locations whatever that are important that you could use that actually brings um something up so one of my friends we recently had another game so like we do every other week we recently had another game in between those weeks that we got maybe three four sessions in but i friend the other dm he's taking a break from that i don't know if we're going to get it on it again but he had some like questions that he wanted us to fill out for our characters 
one of them was what was the catalyst that set your character to be an adventurer and had to have what is your character's big long-term goal like something that is multiple sessions down the line uh, a short-term goal something that can maybe be completed within a few sessions that sort of thing we had to have a couple of npcs one helpful one antagonistic that sort of thing that is a cool list right there um one of the guys that i interviewed he had a list not like that it was less backstory oriented and more like what do you want to get out of this campaign and like if you were to find three of these you know 10 magic items which ones would you want you know or like and that would kind of help him gauge what the parts of play the uh, players were interested in but it didn't so much tell them anything about the backstory so i think kind of combining those two to say here's your here's your questions like you said how do you why'd you become an adventurer what are your some of your goals and then as a player, what do you kind of want to see in the story as a whole? I think th- those two pieces of information would be super helpful to a DM. It's definitely an interesting concept on like some of those, uh, like the items thing. Oh, that potentially they want to find this. Maybe that gives some insight on how they want to build their character, what direction they want to take them. You know. Yeah, it was it was really cool, and he also had a. Uh, a section that was like you have a hundred points and you can split them between like what you want to see in the campaign like combat intrigue shenanigans stuff like that to kind of gauge the party as to like is this going to be like a silly game or you know maybe certain people don't want to don't even want to do anything with like intrigue and political stuff you know they just want to fight stuff you know right i like to try and I like to split my games like at the moment it's more on the roleplay side like it's probably 70-30 roleplay combat I'm trying to work up a little bit more but like only when it makes sense you know like or they're not just going to randomly encounter a bunch of group bad guys just because but like I want it to make sense you know right I may be bad as a player because I really just like to fight stuff <laughs> well that's totally understandable <laughs> But that's combat is something that I just really enjoy as a player. But I, you know, there's there is definitely more to RPGs than just combat. Do you ever use like flashbacks or anything when you're kind of weaving in these backstories? I had the plan, like uh, we had talked about uh, in our other group chat. Uh, I had the initial plan to, but I didn't really get a chance to work in the last one. Like, I think it would be an interesting way to, like, kind of my DM, uh, the one where I played my Barbarian, he worked it in a little bit where my Barbarian, he was the son of a daughter of an orc chieftain and a human hunter, and his village had been attacked. Well, we went in a flashback where I was playing as one of the attackers. The initial clue was, like, Oh, you see a group of orcs, you see the what looks to be a chieftain, you see a mother holding a child, and you hear the cries of a, a young one, you know? That sort of thing, and it put me in that point of view. Sure. Do you have a time where you had players just completely go a different direction than you were expecting? Not, like, in a huge story-impacting way, but, like, something that... So, 
an initial way, the you know how I mentioned that the guy from the wizard's backstory had hired a bounty hunter. Well, that bounty hunter sent a couple of his goons after the group, and they ended up fighting him. And it was originally it captured him. I was originally going to have the goon uh, who was a blood hunter kind of do the whole oh this guy sends his regards and do a whole, like a suicide to hurt the other sort of thing. But I ended up like ended up not doing that, and it took it in a different direction where they ended up freeing him. That sent him back with a message for his bosses, like saying, "Hey, we know you're after us." at us that sort of like we're not dead yet that sort of thing you know sure rather than killing them off sure so just a different uh, kind of the same result but a slightly different narrative approach than you were expecting exactly your players help contribute to kind of like the world building and stuff so far that i've like they've only been in a small area so they haven't really like i haven't put it to where they have done anything like world impacting but Playing with this group for the few sessions I have, I feel like they could definitely do something like that. How do you handle leveling up in your game? Do you do like XP tracking or do you do more like a milestone? I do milestone as the other DMs in my like I've played with uh I've done because I feel that doing XP would kind of put it more towards the end of kind of like the whole kill steal kind of like more rivalry competitive end of it um, rather than cooperative milestone everybody gets at the same time. Right, because your XP is pretty much exclusively gained by killing monsters, so any chance that you uh, don't kill a monster, you're basically losing out on uh, experience and leveling up. Do you do like certain like story beats that you do your milestones? Like Okay, there's they're on this like certain quest, and once they like you know finish the quest, then that's when they level up. Or do you do it like as a per like you know so many sessions you level up? How do you handle that? Uh, I generally get to a point where like um, kind of like when they it feels like a, a point in a in the story arc or like however I'm planning it. Like they've reached a good point, I feel like they've been need a little a little bit of a boost, you know. And they've currently been, they just reached level four about maybe three sessions back. So I'm planning to carry that on for a little bit longer before I put them to five. And I, that Blood Hunter fight I had mentioned, they leveled up just after that. Sure, that makes sense. Do they have any sort of like downtime things that they do? You know, like between sessions, is there any like narrative thing that players kind of do? Um, Not necessarily between sessions, although I have seen people use that. For this new game I recently joined, uh, we didn't initially get to the point. It was our session zero of how like we were going to meet with the rest of the group because we had to split it into two groups. We didn't get to a point in that session where we were done, so we've been texting on Discord. Oh, this is what you see, this is what happens, make your checks, just different things like that. And we have just recently reached the point where we will end up meeting the other part of our eventual party. Not necessarily between sessions, but like, one of my players is currently working on homebrewing their own spell, and I've had them play it out in character a little bit. The part I'm having them finish a little bit because they're in the middle of place. They're not going to be able to just buy material components out of wherever, you know? Yeah, what a part I had was since they're creating a spell, like altering the fabric of magic, you know? 
have to attempt to cast the spell as part of its creation process. They need the materials to do that, and they don't have that at the moment. So that's really interesting. How do you, um, did, did they kind of tell you, like, I, I want a spell that does this, and then did you work with them to kind of, like, write, write the spell, or how did that process start? They actually, which is the fun part, they already had the spell made. They just wanted me, they just wanted a way to work in how their character would make it in-game. I'll, I'll show you later on, like, how they did it, but, like, they showed me a picture of, like, this is the spell, this is what it does. And it's it's relatively easy. It's a second-level spell. That, uh, the wizard, it's a, a dunamancy, so, like, time magic, like, little altering the fabric of reality, that sort of thing. Sure. And it, it's along that line of effect. So I, I worked it in. They copied it as normal, but they can't use it since they haven't, you know, finished the process. So um, they have to get their materials, they have to cast it, and then they have to make like a finalizing check to actually imbue it and, you know, finalize it, you know. And did you... They, they brought it to be ultimately. So like the the check and stuff that I assume they have to make like an arcana check or something? Yes, that's the idea. Um, and did you find... Did, is that just like rules that you came up with or did you see that somewhere as like a suggested how to let a player learn a, a new spell? Uh, that one I actually if there is out there I, which I'm sure there is I don't doubt that people have done it before but like I haven't seen it so I ultimately came up with it on my own. It's like oh I figured along the lines hey your character's making something they need to know use their knowledge to see if they can actually do this process you know right it kind of the same as if they were say like an artificer or something and they were making some mechanical object you know you'd probably have a couple of skill checks or something in there and then you know they make progress on it what happens if they fail their uh check to make it is it just you know take longer than or do they completely fail to get the spell right not that they completely fail, but like it takes them longer, and if they the the fail, it will eventually result in a higher DC, which I haven't really worked out what the consequences of that may be. But something could happen. I don't know. It it would be relatively easy, depending on. I guess it would depend heavily on the the spell itself. Right. Spells are obviously going to be easier. Right. Yeah. If he's making like. A ninth level spell then you would expect it to be fairly difficult and probably take a long time multiple checks whereas like say with this one it's just going to be like one simple check it's not going to be very hard to beat do you have other players that are that have like certain like things like that that they're trying to make or um make learn you know whatever gather that's not necessarily existing in either like their character sheets or uh, the game itself not currently this is the the first like major thing i've seen like this within the stuff i've run other than that it's not really much else that is wanting to be done that is not as you said currently within the game sure i think it's really cool that you're you know open to doing that i don't i don't know what most dms perspective is on it but as a as a player, I am always that person like, oh, can I can I learn this new thing or make this thing? Um, 
you know, make me do a whole bunch of checks if you have to. That's fine. You know, I'll, I'll spend money. I'll spend time training on it or whatever. Um, but it's just a lot of fun as a player to to kind of come up with something that's your your own or that character's own, and then go through the process of actually kind of bringing it to life in the game. Right. And something I may work in like relatively soon is since they recently reached level four, everyone got to take say a feat or ability score thing the only person who didn't was our sorcerer cleric because they they went two and two at level four so they didn't oh yeah necessary requirement to get a feat like going back on an earlier question you said if there was any like kind of like house rules i guess it's not necessarily a house rule but um as i've played with in other games everyone gets a free feat at level one or they want to split that you know that sort of thing so then if you pick... Uh, do they allow human variant then? Yes, so some of uh, three of our current players do start with two feats and now three because level four. So there's that. Sure, that's a, that adds into a little bit of the power kind of like how, how I balance encounters. Like, I guess that just means a little bit like, oh, they're reaching this sort of level a bit earlier. So that means I can challenge them a bit more. Sure. And do you find that having that extra feat at level one, what does that do? Does that just help them kind of customize a little bit more? I feel I feel like it would, yeah. It just heavily depends on what kind of game they're running and what kind of character they're wanting to build. Sure, yeah. Certain especially some of the fighter builds and stuff can be really feet heavy, you know, so being able to kind of bring that online a little bit sooner and not have to wait so long, I can see that being really, really handy as a player. So, you know, you've played, you've played two RPGs. You played Starfinder and then uh, fifth edition. If you had to recommend one of those to a new DM, that's you know becoming a dm which one of those would you recommend i would say learning rule wise because i haven't really had to dm i haven't dm starfinder i would definitely start with um fifth edition would definitely in my opinion be a bit better to start with and you can eventually branch out into other editions or other systems sure was there anything with fifth edition that you found either particularly easy or particularly difficult to grasp when you started uh, when it came to dming it was more of, kind of like setting up the whole session zero like kind of like what your boundaries are that sort of thing getting what not quite rules but what you would have say is like kind of like lim- limitations e- expectations that's a better word uh, expectations of what you would want your players and or uh, other people to of general guidelines you know and what do you all talk about at at your session zero uh kind of like uh what kind of game you're wanting how um say like how how would you all want to take this would you want do you want this to be a longer campaign you want this to be a short and sweet one arc sort of thing one and done that sort of thing like length of the campaign general expectations like what lines should be cross what things do y'all not want what things do you want and just kind of like what would you like to see with this and then do you also build your characters in that session zero 
generally, yes, but we generally set expectations and figure out any scheduling issues first is what I find to be bigger parts to handle as a new DM or obviously even as a veteran DM. That's something you should figure out. That way you can figure out what, how you want to take the game later on. Sure. And then do you also talk about like, you know, because you mentioned you're in that, um, was it Wild Mount setting? Yes. Um, did you talk about like, hey, this is a setting I'd be interested in running? Is that something you guys are up for? Or was that kind of decided beforehand? Um, with this game currently that I have, it was initially like, hey, I have a couple of friends. Uh, do y'all want to play a game? I'll, I'll DM. And then like, I have these settings available because I I have the physical books. So I currently have the, um, originally I had the Eberron setting and the Wildmap setting. Those are the only two I had. And I asked, hey, I have these two. Which one sounds more interesting? Sure. And then they could just like, kind of vote and decide which one's best. Right. Because like Eberron's the more, like it has magic and sure, but it's more like tech, modern, steampunk, that sort of thing. Whereas Wildmount is or on the fantasy side of it. You mentioned that you have both physical books. Do you prefer to have uh, physical material uh, for books, at least? Uh, when it comes to on hand, like actually finding it, I do. Um, or like I, I, I like using it as a player and like when I'm prepping as a DM and just like even during sessions, I'll like I'm, I'm a bit more used to physical copies. Although during like, say, during the week between sessions, I, I have sources that I use online to figure out like hey this would be an interesting idea to do later on I'll put that aside that sort of thing sure so when it comes to prep and running the game you'd rather have a physical book but if it goes more for like during the week just looking up little things here and there then digital is fine absolutely so on that same lines of of books um, if you could have any RPG book created, you know, that doesn't exist, what would you have put in it? Ooh. It's definitely some, definitely kind of like a, a broad question with that. I would say, like, I would give a little bit more agency on, like, how, I don't know how I do it, but, like, maybe how some of the races are, like, how, how you want to do, like, oh, you want to be, I think Tasha's definitely did a, a step with that in the right direction of how you want to like, oh, I want to do an elf, but I don't want them to have this ability. I want to have this sort of thing. And, but just like a bit more in-depth process of like how to create spells or just maybe different effects, that sort of thing. Like how they do potions, different things like that. Sure. Just more in-depth for kind of creating your own homebrew stuff. Yes. Like how to homebrew, that sort of thing. Sure. Yeah, well, that, and like you said, you've got a player that's coming up with spells and stuff, and, and it definitely would be helpful whenever you want to just, even just making, you know, one-off either magic items or something just to include in your campaign. Having something that's got a little bit more codified rules on crafting and stuff. I know Xanathar's has a little bit on, like, magic item crafting. Um, uh, yeah, I remember that. Uh, I haven't really gone too in-depth with that, though. Xanathar's hits just... Well, Xanathar's Guide to Everything. It hit, it hits a little bit on everything, but yeah, you're saying more of like a, a dedicated book for, for homebrewing. 
right? Cool. Kind of like how um, was it the book uh, Acquisitions Incorporated did more in depth on the like downtime effect of like running a business or different things like that. Cool. Well, we're about at time here. I really appreciate you taking an hour out of your day to, to chat with me. And um, I'm sure I'll see you around on the Discord. And hopefully in the future, we'll get to chat again. Alrighty. Sounds fun. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of the Dungeon Master's Toolkit Podcast. You can find links to all of the products and resources that we talked about on the show in the show notes. And if you'd like to join the community or find out how to be on the show, check out our subreddit or join us in our Discord server.